Praise the Lord. I say it all the time. I hate interrupting your conversations. Tell the person next to you hello. Tell them happy Father's Day if it's applicable. And happy Father's Day if it's applicable. Praise the Lord. It is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Can somebody say amen? We are excited to be here. We know that God has great things planned for us, but I want to start this this service by letting the Lord know how much I appreciate Him, how much I am undeserving, but how much I appreciate His great work on our behalf. A few announcements to make this morning. Happy Father's Day, of course. Pick up your gift uh, after service. Um, Sunday, June 25th, Brother A.J. Holloway will be speaking for us in the 11 a.m. service. And Sunday, June 25th, baked goods. Uh, we will have our baked goods silent auction in the lobby after service. If you'd like to bake something for this auction, please contact Sister Tanya. Also, there's addendum to that. There will be items for individual sale outside of the baked good auction for those who are not able to stay for the actual auction. So we've got some potential diabetes for everybody. Praise the Lord. Also, Wednesday, June 28th, uh, Move the Missions Ice Cream Social. There you go. In the A Center after service. Is God good this morning? Is God good all the time? Let's stand to our feet and worship the Lord this morning. God bless you.
himself and there's people here today that wants to see God manifested in themselves you want to leave here today knowing that God God worked in my life God did something for me but there's also another burden here today of people that God that, that want to see God manifest himself in the lives of someone else that's a long reach sometimes uh, challenging sometimes for you to stand where you are and say, why doesn't so-and-so somewhere else in the building feel what I'm feeling? I believe that's why it's so important for us to not frustrate the presence of God by saying, God, why aren't they doing this or that? God, why aren't they responding? I believe our part here today is to contribute what we can, to let God move on us like we know how and leave the moving of God on other people up to them and God. I want to leave here today equipped. I want to leave here today prepared for whatever tomorrow holds, whatever that is. If other people don't care about that, that's between them and God. The Bible said to work out your own soul salvation with fear and trembling. And I want us today to be sensitive to the presence of God. Can we clap our hands one more time for the Lord, everybody? Would you clap your hands? I know you've been standing for a long time, but if you'd please be patient for just another moment, there's several needs that I'd like for us to pray about today. And uh, if we can do that, and then we can, we'll be seated. Uh, the Frasers need prayer morning, uh, this morning. Mike and Deidre, they uh, both uh, have COVID and uh, ask for us to pray for them. We want to do that. And also David Crochet needs prayer today. Sister Cassie's husband uh, needs, needs a touch from the Lord today. Let's pray for him. Thank the Lord. I'm sure there's other needs. These are just the ones that's been brought to our attention. But um, let's pray about these things right now, shall we? Everybody all across the building. Father, in the name of Jesus, we 
call on you today knowing that you're a God that's absolutely capable. You can exceed our expectations. You can exceed our faith. Anything we can do, God, you can exceed all of that. And we pray today for these people. Pray for Mike and Deidre, for David. I pray, God, that you administer to them. You know where they are. You know what the situation is. We know that you're a healer. We know that. We know that. And we pray, God, that these that your healing touch is made manifest in the lives of these people. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. I'm going to go ahead and have you seated. You've been standing for a while. Thank you. Uh, may I say uh, quickly, but very sincerely today, happy Father's Day to all of our dads. I mentioned to the praise team before we came out this morning that wish them a happy Father's Day and said it's great being a dad most of the time. <clears throat> I meant that to be kind of cute. I didn't mean for that to just fly over your head and wait for a big, profound point. I just, it was a joke. I mean, don't get, y'all still aren't with me yet. It, happy Father's Day. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, we do have a very nice gift. I want to thank Sister Landry for preparing such a, a nice gift. And uh, obviously, I've already gotten mine. Uh, probably most of you have too, but they're in the lobby and uh, please feel free, all of our dads, to pick one up. If you're not a dad, this is not applicable to you. Y'all still aren't with me this morning. What happened here today? Did something I'm not aware of? I'm just getting a blank stare. We'll just go on with service today and forget the, the light humor part of these, these things. Pick your gift up on the way out, and uh, it'll be a blessing to you. Thank you, Sister Landry, uh, for preparing these and doing such a wonderful, wonderful job. Great to see everybody here today, all of our guests. Thank you so very much for coming. We appreciate so very much you being here, and uh, we hope, especially to all of our dads here today, that you have a great day today, and uh, that you enjoy the blessing of God and certainly the blessing of your family. Feel free to remain seated. I want to call your attention to the Word of God, and as I do, be reading from Genesis chapter 19. If I have ever felt in the will of God today, if I've ever felt in the will of God ever before, I do today. Um, I said last Sunday, those of you that were here last Sunday, uh, I had a message to preach, and it was this one. I still feel it on my heart, and uh, we'll present it to you in just a moment. But uh, there were people here last Sunday, as much as I felt uh, last Sunday to preach this, I there were people here last Sunday that, that turned God around, kind of like the woman with the issue of blood. She touched him, him of his garment. He was going to pray for a little girl that was dying. And before he could get there, she died. Uh, that's how serious that was. And this woman had the ability to stop him and turn him around, completely going in the opposite direction of the deceased little girl. He ultimately did raise her back from the dead, as you all know. But this woman turned him about, and I feel like that's what happened last Sunday. Um, and when I get into this presentation here today, I want everybody to understand. Um, sometimes we'll preach a holiday-based sermon. Sometimes we do not. Today is going to be both. I ought to preach this whether it was Father's Day or not, but I am going to pull hard for our dads here this morning, every one of you. Uh, pulling hard for our dads here today, but obviously for everyone. But I believe God has ordained this moment. God has ordained this time 
for those of you in attendance here today. And it would be to your benefit to give ear to the word of God. Take advantage of this while you can. Genesis chapter 19 verse 15. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot and said, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. This next phrase is bewildering to me. The Bible said, and while he, Lot, lingered, the men, the angels, manifested as men, laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto them. Everybody say merciful. The Lord being merciful unto them. And they brought him Lot forth and set him without or outside the city. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, the angel said, escape for thy life. Look not behind thee. Neither stay in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Does everybody have a picture of what's going on here? There's, most everybody knows this story. Judgment is falling on Sodom in the form of hellfire, if you will, and brimstone out of heaven. And Lot, in the middle of this event, Lot said unto the two angels, Oh, not so. Behold now, your servant has found grace in your sight, and you have magnified mercy. You've magnified it. You've made it more than what it needs to be. You have showed this unto me, and by by saving my life. You've been merciful. You made it bigger than it should be, more than it should be. You saved my life, but I can't escape to the mountain lest some evil take me and I die. Behold, now this city is near to flee unto. It was called the city of Zor. This city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. It's amazing to me. And such an incredible moment of manifestation of God's mercy, Lot continues to bargain. I want to speak to you for a few minutes this morning about the true manifestation of mercy. This is not what you may think it is, the title of this message. We all know that God is merciful, right? We all know God is merciful. I'm not talking about His manifestation of mercy. I'm talking about how we receive it and respond to it after He manifests it. If we don't manifest it appropriately, 
then it's just God giving mercy, but there's no sign of that mercy. We are the evidence of the mercy of God, the true manifestation of mercy. Listen to Pastor. There's a difference between the way the mercy of God is manifested in your life when you are living for God the way that God wants you to live. God literally spared Abraham, who was Lot's uncle. God spared him from so much potential heartache and grief because Abraham lived for God and obeyed God to the very best of his ability. On the other hand, Lot, who... Conversely, his name means veil or covering. He should have been a veil or covering for his family, but was everything but that. Is what his name means. He was also living under the same mercy of God that Abraham was. God was not partial to either one of these men. We know that the Bible teaches very clearly that God is not partial. He doesn't play favorites. His mercy is given to all men equally. But Lot's wife, or Lot's life, excuse me, Lot's life ended up a disaster. It turned out to be a total disaster. Why? Because he was not obedient to God's plan. It's amazing to me that in one of the greatest manifestations in the Bible, one of the greatest manifestations in the Bible of God's mercy, Lot wanted to bargain with God and still do things his way. And it turned out to be a total disaster for Lot and for his family. Yes, it did. It's interesting to me that Lot survived the judgment of Sodom God was merciful. Everybody say merciful. Everybody say merciful. But what happened after that, when Lot had the opportunity to manifest gratitude, when he had the opportunity to manifest mercy, uh, when he had uh, opportunity to express just total devotion to God, just total surrender to God. Anybody would think that after an event like this one, that Lot would have melted at the feet of God and said, God, you saved me from this, oh my goodness, this disaster, this unbelievable judgment. Lot is watching Sodom and Gomorrah be consumed with fire out of heaven. Do we understand that? Can you get a picture of that in your head? You would think that he would want to just fall down at the feet of God and say, God, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do it. He didn't do it. You would think that Lot would want to manifest mercy greater than Abraham could ever imagine manifesting the mercy of God. You would think Lot would be the one that would become the father of the faithful after this. 
You'd think Lot would be the one that would be that stalwart Christian man. You'd think Lot would be that man that would say, Hey, I'm going to do, my family's going to do whatever God wants us to do. It was not the case. Where Abraham manifested the mercy of God in his life on so many levels in such a great way, Lot chose not to manifest being a recipient of the mercy of God in the way that he should have. So Lot survived the judgment of Sodom, and God was merciful. But what happened after that? What happened to Lot after God manifested mercy on him? Is the point of this whole message today. What happened to him? Was he finally ended up in the mountain with his two daughters, his two daughters thought that the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah was the end of humankind is what most people believe. And that Lot is the only man that would be able to father a child with them. But they knew that Lot in his right mind, having his sense still about him of some degree of morality after living in Sodom all these years, they knew that he would not agree to fathering a child with each of them. So they got him intoxicated. They got him drunk, committed incest with him. The two boys that were born as a result of that moment, one was Moab and one was Ben-Ami. They ended up being two of the most evil people that ever lived. You don't hear as much about Ben Ami, but you do hear a lot about Moab and the Moabites. They conflicted the people of God all throughout the Old Testament. God wanted them destroyed over and over and couldn't find a man to do it. But they were, they treated the people of God horrible. This example, this one example of what his daughters did to him, to me is the fulcrum of this whole story. Lot had an opportunity to manifest the mercy of God in his life, being a recipient of God's mercy. And he took it in a completely different direction. And it's just mind-boggling to me how he did that. So my question here today to us, all of us, everybody here today, in one way or another, in one form or another, is and has been a recipient of God's mercy. How do we manifest our appreciation of it? What do you do to say, I'm thankful? I preached a couple of Sundays ago that David tried to answer this question. And he said, the only thing I can think of is that we live thankful for it and we live obedient to the will of God. We will never try to negotiate with God again. We are so thankful for his mercy in our life, that we're going to do whatever it is that God wants us to do. We won't ask any more questions. That's the best way we can respond. That's the best response we have to the mercy of God being shown in our life. So let me ask this question. God is God and we're not God. Thank God. God has attribute and ability that we don't possess. Yes, he does. But in our human mind, in our human way of thinking, how can we expect God 
to continue to be merciful when we haven't shown gratitude and commitment for past times that he's been merciful. God is God, and he is merciful, and he is merciful, and he is merciful forever. David said over and over in one of the Psalms that his mercy endures forever. I believe he said it 16 times. I thank God his mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. And I thank God today. So today I will preach to challenge all of us to get committed to God if you're not and to stay committed. Stay committed. The dangers of half-heartedness, the dangers of complacency and apathy are fully illustrated for us in Genesis 19. I'd recommend that every person read the whole chapter of Genesis 19 when you get home today or tomorrow to gain the great spiritual lessons that the scripture offers. Notice the screen. If Abraham is called the father of the faithful, then Lot can surely be called the father of the scarcely saved. And where he made it out of the judgment of Sodom, his life was not peachy in any way after that. Just considering what his daughters did to him. God saved him from the present judgment. Listen to pastor. God saved him from that present judgment. But God did not save him from his future. Lot chose his future. And God did not save him from that. Not every man is called to be a pioneer or an explorer in his life. Not every man is called to achieve greatness in his life. There are great, powerful men such as Abraham, and then there are those who are to follow along in, in the roles that these men should play. Lot was such a man. If, if only Lot would have ended as he'd begun, if Lot had been content to share the prospects, the peace, and the prosperity of Abraham, his life would have turned out far less tragic than it did. He would have no doubt escaped many trials and sorrows by doing so. Instead of being scarcely saved, he would have been abundantly saved, if you will. Instead of having to deal with the smell of fire and brimstone in his clothes, he would have only watched from a distance. Instead of being lost in the mountains in some unmarked grave, he would have been given the honor of a patriarch's burial. I want to say to our students here today, Please listen to Pastor. I'm preaching with all of my might here today on Father's Day. Even if your parents aren't committed, you commit anyway. Even if your parents do not want to live for God, you live for God anyway. To everybody in this building today, whatever you have to do to be saved, be willing to pay that price to be what God wants you to be. I believe if you're familiar with the story of Abraham and Lot, you understand there's a deep divide. There's a deep and wide valley between the things that motivated Abraham and the things that Lot found himself pursuing. Abraham built his altars. Lot pitched a tent. Abraham had his own altars. Lot borrowed Abraham's altars. There's not one single reference in the Bible of Lot ever building his own altar. Abraham walked by faith. Lot walked by sight. 
Lot's eyes lingered too long on the well-watered plains of Jordan. Abraham was generous and selfless. Lot was worldly and greedy. Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. Lot found a city built by men and ultimately destroyed by God. Abraham became an heir to the world through righteousness. Lot's last mention is in Genesis, and it finds him deserted alone in a cave with what few possessions he brought out of Sodom. This is the difference in a person's life and how you manifest the mercy of God when it's been given to you. All of us should and could learn this lesson. There are more to the aspects of the life of Lot that proves that at the very best his priorities were tainted. Lot was concerned about his tents more than his altars. Lot gravitated towards Sodom because there was no altars in his life. Lot gravitated towards Sodom. It didn't matter how evil it was. The problem with Lot is there was no altars in his life. There was no commitment. There was no conviction. There are some deficiencies in tents that are not found in altars. Tents have to be pitched, meaning they are temporary. They're just a temporary dwelling. Altars have to be built, for they are permanent places in our lives. Tents have to be supported by ropes and poles, and they have to have help to stand up. Altars are there to support you. A tent will never hold you up, but an altar will always hold you up. Tents are made with inferior materials such as cloth and tarp, and they will have to be patched up. An altar is forever because if the commitment of the builder is true, it'll never have to be patched up. It'll never have to be tended to. An altar is a permanent fixture in our lives. A tent is where man lives, but an altar is where God lives. A tent was a place of Noah's sin and of Sarah's laughter of doubt, but it was at an altar where the fire of God fell for Elijah. The situation between Lot and Abraham reached ahead. I'm trying to go as quickly as I can. It all reached ahead when the herders of Lot and those of Abraham began to have conflict and they would quarrel between themselves. Lot was quickly becoming the father of those who were hard-faced, hard-hearted, tight-fisted, and money-loving. Everything was found to be based on a profit and a loss margin. It was not long until the bickering bands found themselves locked in a struggle that not only scandalized the two camps but spread out into the whole country. So Abraham, being the man that he was, provided Lot with a choice. If Abraham is a type of ever a type of Jesus, it's right here. At some point in your life, students, young people, moms and dads, at some point in your life, God will bring you to a place where you have to make a choice. He does not do it for you. I wish sometimes that he did, but he will bring you to a place. Usually it's at an altar, but in this case, it was at the top of a mountain peak. God allowed Lot to ascend to one of the best places he had ever been in his life. He had a moment of intimacy 
with Abraham, with God, with his self, with his mind, with his choices. You get the point. And Abraham said, you choose the direction you want to go, and I'll take what's left over. What land do you want to take your herds to, Lot? Where is it that you feel would be the most productive for your desires? And the Bible declares to us, in no uncertain terms, that Lot lifted up his eyes and looked to the well-watered plains of Jordan. I wish I could have everybody listen today. There's people on their phones and all that, and I, I hope what you're doing is more important than what you're hearing. My heart is so full this morning. The well-watered plains of Jordan. The Bible, you, you, you have to understand the Bible is saying here that it was the most desirable place for a man to, to want to live. It was beautiful. The Bible called it well-watered. You don't have to worry about drought and all of that. You could plant and harvest, plant and harvest, plant and harvest. Plenty of food for your family, plenty of food for your herds. The well-watered plains of Jordan. It was a beautiful place. It had vast meadows for grazing flocks. It even had the Jordan River Basin to supply the right amounts of water. But what Lot didn't understand, and there's people here this morning that don't understand, you can look and pursue greener pastures if you want to. But what Lot didn't understand was included in that package, included in the well-watered plains of, Sodom, of, of Jordan, was two cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot was willing to accept the horrible, evil debauchery of Sodom. He was willing to accept that just so long as he could have a well-watered field for his herds. The choices that he made in life were to mark and mar him. Notice the screen. What a man chooses and how a man chooses proves a lot about his character, opportunities, alternatives, and choices placed before a man will allow certain, certain discoveries to come to light. Shakespeare said one time, and it's a joke to me, but it's true. I say it oftentimes in jest. But he said, who knows what evil lurks in the heart of man? Only the shadow knows, and he'll never tell. You can live with people and be around people for years and years and years, and all of a sudden something pops up. I don't know if Abraham had any inclination that that kind of thing would have ever appealed to Lot. But he found out that day where Lot stood and what his values were. Lot chose the good ground, the good water, the good pasture at the very cost of disgrace and shamelessness and a host of other avenues of self-centeredness. Lot knew quite well both the name and the character of the city. In the rain and sunshine of the Jordan Valley, he had heard too many times his uncle praying. He had heard Abraham too many times praying and plotting, literally plotting with God, with all of his might on how to save Sodom. 
It's interesting. It's an interesting story. The important thing is that Lot's cattle are up to their bellies in grass and the herd is growing by leaps and bounds and all of this around Sodom, which was heaven on earth to Lot. One of the most crucial times in a young man or a young woman's life is when they are trying to choose which city toward which they will pitch the direction of their heart. I've seen it all of my life. Too many times those choices are made as if the history of Lot had never been written. Listen to pastor, everybody. Please listen to this pastor. I want everybody here this morning on Father's Day to think, think, think. Think about the temptations and the dangers that will come from the choices in life that you make. Open your eyes and count the cost. Take time over thinking over that choice. Seek the wisdom of elders in that choice. Talk to your daddy. Talk to your pastor. Talk to men in the church. This is what I want to do. This is the direction I want to head. Go in. What do you want to think? There's people here today. There's prodigals here today that never ask. Do you think this is a good direction for me, Dad? Do you think this is a good direction for me, Pastor? Do you think this is a good direction for me, Mom? You just go off and do it, and now you're trying to pick up pieces and trying to put it all together and figure it all out, and you're the epitome of confusion and despair. I'm here to tell you today, you can pick the well-watered plains of Sodom or of Jordan, and you can go in any direction you want, but there's going to be things included in that package that you didn't plan for. Let me have everybody think about the choices that you make for jobs, for commitment in marriage, for commitment in family, for commitment to a church. Just think, think, think. Look at your motives. Read Genesis 13 and read Genesis 19 and then go to your knees and ask God to help you make the right choice. Look at the dangers, the temptation, and, the most, and most especially the, the companions of that choice. Look at the people with you with whom you will have to part company with and at the people that you will have to live with and work with and let the die be cast. I've seen more than more, more than one man and more than one woman give up their family, give up their marriage, give up their kids for a sin. I've got to have it, Pastor destroy your life and those around you. Just as Lot was beginning to acquaint himself with the men of Sodom, the Lord was getting ready to answer Abraham's prayers. Just as Lot was beginning to discover that the men of Sodom were not as bad as what had been reported to him, the Lord was setting angels in motion for judgment against Sodom. Just as Lot is beginning to open accounts with the merchants of Sodom, the Lord is about to recognize and answer the prayers of Abraham. Do you remember the prayer of Abraham? God, if I could find 50 righteous in that city, would you spare it all the way down to 10? And there was none. This is where Lot chose to live with his family. He didn't go by himself. No matter where you go, sir, no matter where you go, ma'am, you never go 
alone. Shortly prior to the collapse of Sodom, heaven put earth on hold. <laughs> God just stopped everything for a moment. And I believe he did it total in total respect of Abraham. I don't believe Lot had anything to do with this. But God said, I'm just going to try one more time in honor of my faithful servant Abraham. I want to tell everybody here today, you do not understand the power of these sweet Christian people that you have in your life that you think are silly and emotional and what have you. I don't read anywhere in the Bible where Abraham ever asked God to manifest himself to Lot. But God did. Because he was merciful. He sent two men, two angels in the form of men. He stopped the judgment proceedings. He did all of that and sent two angels in the form of men to the house of Lot. And these spiritual beings walked into that wicked city. The word immediately went out and the men of Sodom, consumed with wickedness, went straight to Lot's home in the city. Let me share with you some characteristics about Sodom. Let me tell you what kind of people and sin this is. Their sin was unnatural according to Romans chapter 1. Their sin had stooped to the lowest form of impurity. Number two, their sin was shameless. Instead of shrinking into darkness, they openly proclaimed their filthiness and would have fed their lust in public. Number three, their sin was violent. To violate the rights of property by breaking into Lot's house, it was violent. These men were ready to violate the laws of men to destroy the laws of God. Their desire was to add sin to sin. Their sin was stubborn. When stricken with blindness, the crowd outside of Lot's door still stubbornly pressed on. God blinded them and they still continued on in it. Many will pause when they are confronted with the just judgments of heaven. But these men were only maddened to a greater fury and more determined. Number five, their sin was universal. From all areas and ages in Sodom, they clustered and clamored at the door of Lot. Please notice the screen one more time. Lot was always in pace with his world. Therefore, he carried no burden in his heart. He carried no weight of concern in his soul. It was just business as usual. Lot's relatives, if you will, were the brethren in lukewarm Laodicea and a lukewarm Demas and a lukewarm Judas Iscariot. Lot was locked in the disastrous world of shallowness and half-heartedness. There was still a little light left in Lot's life because we see his hospitality to the angelic visitors. It didn't mean he was right because he welcomed angels into his house. He was just being nice. There was enough light left in his life that he defended his evening guests from the demented residents of Sodom. But for what little light that was left in Lot's life, there was a darkness that seemed to engulf the fading light. And because he had been in Sodom far too long, Sodom was showing when he was willing to allow his daughters, he allowed, he was willing to give his daughters to these men. And Sodom, just leave these angels in my house alone. He had been there far too long. He was willing to give his daughters to find husbands in Sodom. Sodom was showing when he was willing to sacrifice their purity to these men. 
when you're accused of being just different and separate and whatever other line that must may be used, we're doing nothing more than attempting to keep Sodom out of our home, out of our lives, and out of the lives of our children. It's no doubt one of the reasons John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh and the eyes and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but of this world. The world passes away in the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. I'm hurrying. When Lot had received the message from the angels about the destruction of Sodom, he wanted to warn his sons-in-law. So he ran with desperate words only to be mocked and laughed at by those he was trying to reach. That's so true even today. How was it that such words could be taken so lightly? Because of Lot living in Sodom, he lost his influence. He had lived there for too long. He had made too much money in Sodom. He had had formed too many business relationships in Sodom. He did too much high-fiving and handshaking and all that in Sodom. He had no influence. And when he reasoned of the righteous and judgment in Sodom, nobody listened to him been there too long the recourse of the residents of Sodom was you're just like us why would we listen to anything you have to say if you expect to have any effect in your world you have to be different not just for the sake of being different but Christianity should be different than worldliness now that I've preached all of that I've come to the crucial point of what I've really come to say, and I'm concluding. Two things that Lot did not, that that, that, two things that Lot did that really catches my eye in Genesis 19. The first is this. Even after all of that, and after the destruction had been spelled out to him, this is about to happen. You need to get out. He still lingered. And the angels had to forcefully remove him against his will. Again, God being merciful. Not because of Lot, but because of Abraham. The second is this. Not only did he linger, but after he was removed, he prayed a pitiful prayer. Not for his family. Not for Sodom. Not for his friends. He prayed a pitiful prayer about wanting to stop in Zor when the command was to flee to the mountain. I don't want to go that far. I can't go that far. I can't make it that far. I don't feel safe going there. Could you let me go about halfway? Can I go to another city? A small one, he said. It's just a little one, he said. He repeated it twice. I can't prove it, but I have a feeling that Zor was under, to some degree, the influence of Sodom itself. I don't believe there was ever in the Bible a more poor and more selfish prayer prayed. And as poor and pitiful as it was, God still answered it. Why? Because God 
his mercy. Lot, panic-stricken and weeping over the loss of his treasures in Sodom, feared the flames will be wherever he runs to. Thinking the mountains would be too high for him, begs the angel to change the orders and let him stay in Zor, a place of incompleteness, a little place, a place of little commitment, the place of just getting by. Sometimes that is the fate that attempts to overtake all of us in the the start of the race began well. There was a knowledge that the pursuit of God was the right thing to do. It is right to obey the commandments of the Lord. It is right to give up the things of the world. But the new way presents difficulties. The thought of things that were being tossed aside began to weigh heavily on his mind. The zeal cooled off and the enthusiasm subsided. What place is this? It is living in quarterway or halfway houses of compromise and stagnation. The there's not a formal turning back towards Sodom and its ruins, but Sodom is still very much in his mind. I can't go back to Sodom, but it's still in me. Zor makes a connection with the church and is content with a minimum of just getting by, just enough sacrifice to remain, all the while living with shriveled souls and petty little Zor. The mountains are a long way off and the road seems steep and rough, but if God tells us to go there, then folks, we must go there. What God commands us to do, he will provide everything that we need to be where he wants us to be. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning as we conclude musicians come. The story I'm about to share with you in conclusion is, I understand, is a true story. It's something that actually happened. If I can't find anything else that illustrates the point I'm trying to make better than this. It happened in Europe a number of years ago. There was a massive collision and derailment of two trains. There were torn, lifeless bodies everywhere. It was a grim scene that greeted the rescue workers on that cold morning and it was evident from the start that there would be few survivors, if any at all. The rescuers worked tirelessly with the bent steel and soft flesh trying to save as many people as possible as you could and would imagine. As they worked on during the day, it seemed as if one frozen picture captured the entire feeling of this mishap. A young mother's lifeless body had shielded her small three-year-old daughter. Somehow the young child's body had missed death because the mother had wrapped her own body around that of her child. And as the rescuers worked, they pulled the small girl from the arms of her dead mother. Amazingly, the small child did not cry or even whimper when they separated her from her mother. They took the small child to the hospital for x-rays and found miraculously that there were only a few minor scrapes and bruises. The little girl endured all the tests and examinations of the physicians without any agitation. It was then that the doctors began to notice a 
tiny, balled-up, three-year-old fist. The child was apparently holding something. Perhaps it was something that could assist them with identifying the child. They began to coax the little girl into opening her hand, but to no avail. Finally, after understanding that the child was not going to open her hand, they pried the little fingers away from the object. The little child immediately began to scream and cry. She had not cried when the rescuers took her from her dead mother, nor had she cried in the back of the ambulance. She had not even cried during the battery of her test. But when she lost her small piece of penny candy from her enclosed fist, her life, happens to us when we lose the penny candy in our life the thing that we think is so important yes it's so trivial and unimportant let me have everybody know here today you can respond to that question by saying well that's how she felt and that was her priorities and what happened this runs much deeper than feelings folks this is reality it's reality and it's fine I've talked to more men in my office that said it would be cheaper for you to go to marriage counseling than to stay hard-headed and stupid and not work out your marriage than to pay child support for the rest of your life. And they always say, well, I can't afford counseling. It's funny when you're divorced, you can afford child support. You're holding on to a penny piece I began this message with this statement and I conclude. There's a difference between the way the mercy of God is manifested in your life when you're living for God the way that God wants you to live. On the other hand, there's a whole different way the mercy of God is manifested in your life. We consider the mercy of God being saved from something, but we don't consider the future that comes after people here today that could be saved from a God-awful decision right now that you're in the process of making. God can save you from that right now. He can, right now. But more than likely, you're not going to do it. You're going to walk out the door and do whatever stupid you want to do. Excuse my harshness. I've said in my office too many times. I watch people get up walk out the door. And some of them have come back a year or two later and say, can you please help me? My life is If you would listen to what I said, start. There's people here today, if you would just do whatever it is that God wants you to do. Would you whine and cry and say, oh, God, but I can't because I want this and I want that. God, I want this. You will give up far more getting what you want. You will give up far more getting what you want you would, if you would just surrender to God's will and God's plan for your life, you would gain far more than you could ever imagine. I want to say very boldly here this morning, as much as God turned the service last Sunday in the direction he did, God has turned this one in the direction he has. And it could be just for only one person, but he'll do it 
Why? Because God is merciful. So on Father's Day today, there's men here right now that the greatest gift you could give to your family, to your children, is to say, you know what, I am so thankful for the mercy of God that I've experienced all of my life. I'm going to go down the front of that building and I am going to pray through the Holy Ghost. I'm going to give my heart to God and you never have to worry about your daddy ever, ever doing anything stupid when it comes to commitment and relationship with God. You have that opportunity on Father's Day. I know it's the day that you get gifts, but maybe you could consider giving a gift to your dad. So I wonder here today how many dads would determine in the presence of your family as for me and my house we're going to serve the Lord what a Father's Day what a Father's Day message I could not give you a better message today you have an opportunity to show the true manifestation of mercy by saying thank you Jesus for this opportunity right now so as they begin to sing want to create an environment where you can come down and say, God, first of all, I repent to you. God, I'm sorry to you, but I'm sorry to my family, my friends. I'm sorry, God. I want to be everything. I want to be everything. You are Students, children, why don't you come down here as a family? Giving you the opportunity. You have an opportunity to show just how thankful you are the amazing mercy of God that's been so evident in your life all of your life. He's never one time left you. He's never one time forsaken you. He's never one time been mean and harsh that you had the opportunity to say God, you
to your family, embrace one another, love on one another. Happy Father's Day to all of our dads here today. Hope you have a great day. Thank you all for coming. God bless you today in Jesus' name.